How y'all doing this morning? All right, all right. We are in another week of our Advent series, Word Made Flesh. So many of you have heard my testimony uh, throughout the years being here. You know, many of you have heard that I, I did drugs, I sold drugs, I partied, I did a lot. This is all in middle school. But I, I want to back up for a minute and talk about the story before the story, so to speak. And so I haven't shared this one as much. Um, if I could kind of just put it in a succinct way, in elementary school, I just felt like I didn't fit. And so whether it was school, culture, friends, whatever was going on, I just felt like I didn't have a place. If I was going to give you a snapshot, uh, the best one I can give you is fifth grade. I'm, uh, I get out the, the school directory. You remember when they had those, when I had everybody's number, you know? So I got out the school directory, opened it up, and I was like, all right, I want somebody to come over to my house tonight. And so I'm going to start calling guys that I know. So I knew like eight or nine guys in my grade. So pick up the phone, you know, ringing it out, whatever it was, I don't remember. But uh, I picked up the phone, hey man, uh, you want to come hang out tonight? No, nah, man, I can't. Click, right? Hey man, you want to come hang out tonight? No, nah, man, I can't. Click. Hey man, you want to come hang out tonight? No, nah, man, I can't. Click. Went through like eight or nine people. And the feeling I felt when I got done is, is you just, you don't fit. Like you're, you're not connected, you're really unimportant, and, and that's just your life right now. And so that led out of that into this feeling of, man, I've got to change something, I've got to change who I am, I'm not good enough, I've got to perform. That's when I jumped into all the drug culture, party culture, crazy culture. Uh, it, but it was just this sense of, I don't fit. It's interesting, Jean and I watch, she's watched all of it, I watched part of it with her last night, it's a documentary on Netflix called Stutz. It's Jonah Hill's documentary of his therapist. His therapist, he says, basically saved his life. And so he wanted to take the principles and really the story of his therapist to the world. And so that's the documentary. One of the things that's highlighted in this documentary is Jonah Hill he literally feels like there was this season in his life where he was overweight and it defined the rest of his life. It was this stigma that he couldn't get away from. So he's constantly trying to hide it, try to act like it wasn't there. He was constantly trying to bury it, but it felt like it just kept coming back in his life. And so this documentary in many ways is this unraveling of how he got through it because he almost just gave it all up. And, uh, and I just think about that, if you take the two stories, okay, my guess is many of you in this room, probably all of you in this room, have felt things like this. Stigmas, whether it was the decision you made, a circumstance you were in, just who you are in general, you don't fit or whatever it is, but it pops up every now and then. And you feel the weight of it, you feel the stress of it, you feel the pressure of it, whether it's at your job, in your home, among your kids, maybe it is your kids, whatever it is, but you feel like you can't escape it. It's fascinating. Jesus had a stigma. He did. It wasn't a sin or a moral failure. It was actually his place of origin. It was where he was from. And no matter where he went, all throughout the Gospels, it was like he could never escape it. And so that's where we're headed today. We're in John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. So let's dive in. 
He says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. This is interesting. So Jesus, he sees this guy, Philip, and he says, hey, I want you to come follow me. Do you know that kids have this incredible ability to like debunk and unravel all of your like Christianese in your life? Like it's crazy. They'll ask questions like, well, why? Why would you do that? What do you do with that? What's the answer to this? And you finally get to the place of like, what am I saying? It does, does what I, is what I'm saying actually make any sense? Following Jesus is one of those in my family. Hey, sweetheart, you just need to follow Jesus when it comes to this. Dad, what does that mean? Like, seriously, what do you mean by that, Dad? I'm like, what are you talking about? You just follow Jesus? Because he's not here. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, walk this way? He's not even here. What are you talking about, Dad? Right? And I'm sitting there going like, oh, gosh, like, I got to break this down. What does it mean? You know, like all the things. And you're sitting there trying to figure out like, okay, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Really fascinating. Jesus comes to Philip. He says, follow me. Follow me. Watch this. The guy after him, you know, the guy named Paul, the apostle Paul, came after Jesus. You know what's really interesting? He doesn't use the phrase, follow Jesus almost ever. He doesn't have this phrase of be a follower of Christ. It's really interesting. Do I think it's significant and for a reason? I actually do. I do. Let's break it down for just a second. When Jesus came to Philip and he said, follow me, what is Philip required to do? He's required to think about things differently spiritually, right? Make certain decisions. Following Christ obviously means more than physical, but it doesn't mean less than. Philip literally had to sacrifice his time, his effort, his focus, walk away from whatever he's doing, whether it's his job or an appointment or hanging out with friends, and he had to physically walk and follow Jesus, Like that was a thing he had to do. That's what following Jesus meant. It was very physical. So for Jesus to go to somebody and say, hey, follow me, what that meant is I've got to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to follow and pursue him. I'm going to walk away from my job. I'm going to drop my nets. I'm going to leave my family for a season in order to follow Jesus. But Paul doesn't talk about that. Why? Because Jesus isn't present. It doesn't mean it's wrong to say, be a follower of Christ or follow Jesus. You can say all of those things, but he doesn't focus on that. What does Paul focus on? He focuses on dying to self and Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just, do I change my attitude and my thoughts and all those things and follow Jesus? No, no, no. I die to self and Christ lives in me. He lives through me. I may decrease so that he may increase, Right? That's the picture that we see throughout the New Testament. Paul uses that language. So what does it look like in a fuller picture for us today? Not just Philip who had to literally walk away from his job and follow Jesus. What does it look like for us today? It's the idea of the fuller picture of following Christ is we adhere to all of the scriptures. God laid down the scriptures for us to receive, to follow him. Let me paint this for just a second. If you don't know what the scriptures say, do you even know what Jesus said? Do you know how to follow him or what to think about him? No, you don't. So what sacrifice meant for them is, I'm going to walk away from my job and I'm going to walk with Jesus, literally. For us today, it means it requires sacrifice of us studying the word of God. 
of us putting our attention to what he said. Not just what we think, not what, just what we feel, but what did he say? Where did he call us to be? What does he call us to think and to act on and to do? We adhere to the scriptures, all of them. What Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Paul and so many others said about us following God. We, we listen to the scriptures. We sacrifice. We, we put them ahead. So I, I think of the story where there was these ladies who are running down Tuscawilla. Okay? They run every, I think it's every morning, every other morning at 5 a.m. Whole big old group of them. They're running along and they see all these guys get out of their car and go into a building. It was the music box. And, uh, and they're like, that's a lot of guys. They're all running. That's a lot of guys like showing up really early. What's going on over there? And one of the ladies who goes to Grace goes, oh, that's, uh, they're, they're there to like learn about the Bible. It was our men's theology class. And she was like, what? At 6 a.m.? Like how do I get my husband onto that, Right? It was this picture of like, man, that's amazing. They're up this early getting after the scriptures together. And you know what? You know why? It's because they're willing to sacrifice because they know what God says is real and true. And it means life. And they need to learn and to receive and do all the things. Right? It's a sacrifice in their life. It's a focus in their life. They're taking the time to grow. That's the picture. And these ladies are like, wow, like that's amazing. Like, how do I do that? How, how, do, how does my husband do that, right? It's taking the time and putting in the effort. I, I think about my own life. I was adding it up as I was kind of studying. I've been a Christian for 25 years. I, I, I didn't know that. It's pretty cool. So Christian, follower of Christ for 25 years. And hear me out on this. I went and got into my undergrad. I got a double major in Bible and Christian ministries. I went on to master's. I got studies in theology and Bible, okay? Can I just tell you this? I have so much to learn. I have so much to grow. I have so much to experience. I am still so broken. I have so much up here that's not here. It's not just about knowledge. It's about walking with God. But I can't walk with God if I don't know what he said and what he's asking of me, if I'm not listening to him, if I'm not following him and sacrificing in those ways. I have so much more to learn and to grow. And we do too. So if you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm a follower of Christ, it takes sacrifice. It takes intentionality. It means that you read and love and listen to the word of God. It means you show up on a Sunday and you're attentive and you're like, what's God have for me today? And it means you get in the word during the week on your own and you're like, man, God, what do you have for me today? It means you go to classes. We have many of them in the spring for you to say, hey, God, what do you have for me today? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? I have so much to learn. I'm hungry because I'm a follower of Christ, right? That's the picture. He goes, Philip, follow me. It's not about you. It's about me. Come. That's what he says. Let's keep going. Verse 44. Now Philip, remember the guy who Jesus said, hey, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Seemingly they had relationships, right? Philip found Nathanael and said to him, hey man, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know what he says? Jesus comes to Philip and he says, hey, 
follow me. Philip's like, okay. And then he goes, oh man, this is awesome. This is the guy. Hey, Nathaniel, come here. Guess what? I found the guy, you know, the one who the Old Testament speaks of, the law and the prophets. He's the guy. Jesus, the son of God, the son of Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth. I found him. I just want to slow down and get practical. It's real easy to bypass this. Philip at this point is a follower physically walking with Jesus. He's also a believer on some level. He believes that Jesus is who the Old Testament has been proclaiming about, right? So we know that much at this point. What does he do? It's one of the first things. We don't know the exact timeline, but they seem to be pretty close right here. What does he do? He goes, he's excited about Jesus. He goes, hey, I want you to know Jesus too. I just want to slow down. I want you to know Jesus too. It's part of being a follower, a disciple of God, right? We share Jesus with others. Now listen, there can be a lot of shame and guilt around this whole idea. Like, oh man, if you're not screaming about Jesus everywhere, then you're not a Christian. Like all this kind of thing. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a book that just came out a couple months ago. It's called The Six Types of Working Genius by Patrick Lencioni fantastic book. It's like the new strength finders. They have a test, helps you do better at your job, helps you figure out different things about your personality, all those kind of things. Great book. Pick it up, read it, take it to your company. It's awesome. Anyways, in that test, he has six different types of people. One of them is a galvanizer. I rank really high as a galvanizer. A galvanizer is the person who's very motivationally driven. They are constantly pushing people to go beyond what they think they would and to say, hey, you should come be a part of this. You should do this. Let's go, let's go, let's go. That's a galvanizer, okay? So for me, it just comes naturally. I'll give you an example, okay? There's three products I absolutely love, and I talk about them. I show other people them, all, and they're all clothes. I know that's really silly, but, like, I love them. One is a fresh, clean tea. I'm wearing one right now. They are amazing, they're super comfortable, they're cheap, they feel good. If you see me in a t-shirt or a polo, it's a fresh, clean tea. Do you know that I share that with guys all the time? There's probably eight or nine guys, as a matter of fact, one of them's in here right now, wears fresh, clean teas because I told them about it. Why? Because it's a great product. I love it. I feel good in it. And so I tell people about it. It's just natural for me. I've got people in other states that wear fresh, clean teas because I think they're amazing, okay? Like, that's just, that's just my personality. Not everybody's like that, but I, I want to press him for a second. Don't discount your walk with God just because you're not a galvanizer, just because you're not an extrovert. Don't just say, oh, well, I'm not that person, so I don't have to tell others about Christ. That's not real, not true, and it's not reality. It doesn't mean that you shout from the rooftops, but it means the closest people to you, you talk to them about Jesus. Your family members, your friends, your coworkers, you don't just stay silent because it's not your personality. So I just want to press in on you there. There's, there's people that are naturally bent that way. Just because you're not naturally bent doesn't mean you aren't excited about the risen, resurrected Jesus, right? So I just want to, I want to challenge you there. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 46, remember, Jesus comes to Philip, follow me. Philip goes to Nathaniel, hey, Come, follow me. I know the guy. He's the guy. The one that the Old Testament speaks of. Let's keep going. 
What is Nathanael's response? Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see, come and see. I want to hang out here for a second because I think this is the overarching picture of this passage. Can anything good come from Nazareth? See that stigma? It doesn't have to be negative. It's just a reality of their time. It makes me think of my first full-time ministry position. I had just gotten into seminary, super hard to get a job as a pastor anywhere in the area because there's like 3,000 guys all vying for the same thing. I, by the grace of God, somehow got a job about 40 minutes away from my seminary at a church. Here's the name of the place, Crothersville, Indiana. Isn't that a great name? Crothersville, anybody? Anybody know it? Nobody, right? Why? Because it's podunk nowhere. There's one light. There's a subway, sta- I mean, subway restaurant. I think that's it. That's it. Here's the thing. When I interviewed there, I was like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I, I want to talk through it. You know, they go, all right, well, you need to know this about our place. It's an incredibly dark community. Lots of drugs. You're going to be running a basketball ministry. And I, I did. There are going to be kids pouring in who are high as a kite on all kinds of drugs. And that is going to be the norm. Their parents do it. Their grandparents do it. It's generational. They've raised, been raised up in it. So you're going to come, share the gospel. So here's what they told me. And there was a whole lot of stories that they shared. They were heart-wrenching and terrible, brutal, jail stuff. I mean, just all kinds of craziness. Dark community. They said, listen, if you've got a really squeaky clean background and you can't relate to broken people... You're never going to make it here. You're going to be either angry or self-righteous, and you're going to come in with all of your, and I was like, listen, here's my story. They're like, you're going to fit in just fine, right? Come on, come on. So, like, that was the reality. I was end up sharing the gospel, seeing kids who were on drugs in the actual class, coming to know Jesus, just crazy. God was moving and working. It was an awesome thing. But can I just tell you, Crothersville, Indiana. There's two really profound things that stuck out that stood out to me. The first was all the students. They wanted to get out of Crothersville. Why? Because it was like a stigma. Where are you from? I'm from Crothersville. I don't have a future is what it meant to them. So they were constantly talking about how do I go and live somewhere else when I get out of school? The pastor was the second one. Watch this. I considered staying there after I graduated from seminary, like we had a huge heart for the people. The gospel was moving forth. We were growing, seeing students. Just their entire lives changed to where generations after them, their lives would change. It was incredible. And so we were praying through it, and the pastor actually sat down with us. And he goes, hey, I know you're really praying through this. I'm just going to encourage you. Don't stay here. Don't stay here. And we were like, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, it's Crothersville, Indiana. Go somewhere else. Do something else. There was a stigma there. Even the pastor felt it. The students felt it. That was the feeling. And that's the feeling that I get when he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good? Because it's a podunk nowhere. Nothing good comes from there. It's a dead end kind of place. And that's where Jesus is from. This is actually the only time in the Gospels that a disciple refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. It's the only time. You know who normally talks about it? The fact that it's Jesus of Nazareth? The critics, 
the crowds and demons. It is not a title. It is, it's not a title at all. It's a taunt. It's a bad thing. Listen to a couple of examples. They say things like, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Luke chapter 4, verse 34. When he's killed on the cross, Pilate actually nails the inscription above him. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This is not a good thing. This is a stigma. This is a bad thing. Let's keep going. Verse, so I'm going to reread the verse. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. Listen, Nathanael, you're skeptical. You got questions. I mean, can anybody actually, anything good come from this place? Come and see. It's the power of an invite. And, and the reason why I bring this up is we're in a season right now where it's a great time to invite others to church. We've got our Christmas Eve services coming. And listen, Christmas Eve is considered the new Easter in church world. You know why? Who comes home for Easter? Not many. Very few people. Who comes home for Christmas? Everyone. It's just natural. They come home to be for Christmas Eve, for Christmas to celebrate. And so what do you do? You have this huge opportunity to invite people who are potentially far from God or at least not engaged to say, hey, would you come to a Christmas Eve service? Do you know what we've been doing for years at Grace? Sharing the gospel. Saying, hey, would you consider Jesus? And then hopefully their life changes forever. It's the power of an invite. And listen, I I have, a, I have a story I want to share with you because maybe you're the person in the room, maybe this will mean something for you, where you've got somebody in your mind, but you're like, they won't come. They won't come. If I invite them, it's not going to do anything, so I'm not going to waste my time and my effort. So I was hanging out, we were at a sporting event, I was talking to a parent who goes to our church and at the time, and I was like, hey, uh, have y'all invited the coach to our, our church? And they go, no, because he won't come. And I was like, oh, really? I literally walked away, went over here, went to the coach, and I was like, hey, you want to come to our church this Sunday? Uh, it was a fantastic time. Told him all about things. And he goes, yeah. He goes, uh, what time is it at? I was like, 9.15, 10.45. He's like, you know what? We can't make it this Sunday, but we can make it the next time. I was like, perfect. It's our fall kickoff. We've got all these bounce houses, all the stuff. You can bring your kids. It's going to be amazing. He's like, all right, I'll see you there. And then he came, and they had a great time. It was this power of an invite. So don't just assume that everybody's going to say no. Assume that they're going to say yes and ask them, right? What's it going to hurt? What's it going to hurt? It's the power of an invite. He's saying, hey, I get it. You're skeptical, Nathaniel, but come and see. Come and see. So I just want to ask you practically, who is God nudging you right now and asking them to come and see? Who is it? The power of of an invite. Let's keep going. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. Verse 49. Nathanael answered him. Listen to this response, okay? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. All these exclamation points, right? Jesus answered him. Uh, wait, 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 wait. 
Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see way greater things than these. Jesus is almost like, so hold on. You're going to pronounce I'm the king of Israel, the rabbi, the son of God, just because I saw you under a tree? Like, what are we talking about, bro? And you believe? Man, this is nothing. This is nothing. What are we talking about, Nathaniel? He's, he's, he's kind of calling them out. Jesus is like, really? It's really interesting. All throughout the book of John, there seems to be two levels of belief. Watch this. The first level is the belief of a fan. It is. And, and that's where I would put Nathaniel at this point. He's, he's a fan. But listen to what a fan believes. All throughout the Gospel of John, this is the picture of a fan. This is one level of belief, okay? Here it is. They're excited and they're ready to take their first step. They're all about it when it fits their schedule. They're all about it when it fits their ideology. Whatever they think or feel, as long as Jesus meets that, all in, baby, let's go. Like, I'll follow Jesus all day if he believes what I believe and feels what I feel and thinks what I think. Let's go. You're a fan, right? All about it when there is a solid ROI. As long as there's a return on interest for your studying, your meditation, your showing up, I'll follow Jesus all day. Let's go. It's the belief of a fan. And they're all throughout John. But there's another level of belief in John. And it's not a fan. It's what we've been saying. It's a follower. You know what a follower looks like? It's a person who remains when it doesn't make sense to. When you get to John chapter 6 and Jesus says crazy words like eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and you see all these people leave. Why? Because their belief level is I'm a fan. And then there's other believers who stay. They remain. Why? Because even though they don't understand it, even though they feel a little bit mad about what he's saying they go like he goes to his disciples and he says hey are you going to leave too and they go where else would we go where else would we go we don't have the answers we don't have the truth we believe you are the truth we're going to stay right here where else would we go that's the second level of belief in john they're they're followers they are willing to sacrifice they die to self they remain when it doesn't make sense to that's the kind of belief that Jesus is calling us to not one that fits nice and neat in our theology and our ideology but one that we say we submit to your way your will and your mind right that's a disciple when it doesn't make sense you say you know I, I don't get it I don't know why you're doing this I don't know why this is happening but I'm gonna take a step of faith it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is what a follower of Christ looks like. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Not necessarily grasped, not necessarily felt, but they're hoping for it, right? This is a future idea. The conviction of things not seen. That's a follower of Jesus. That's a believer. I love this. Nathaniel seems, watch his response he seems to speak beyond what he can even comprehend because I think he's kind of teetering between the two levels. He's still a fan at this point, and Jesus kind of calls him on it. But what does he say? He says, Rabbi, Son of God, King 
of Israel. Those are significant terms. And because we have all the knowledge of the New Testament, we go, he's saying Messiah. No, he's not. I don't think he is. You know what I think he's saying? That there is a political, militaristic king headed our way, and Jesus, you fit the bill. You're going to be the king of Israel. You're the son of God. You're going to make all of our problems right. I'm going to feel great about it. Let's go. Let's go. That's the picture that I think he's proclaiming. And and you know what? Other disciples do this as well. Think about Peter. What does he do? He says, Jesus, Jesus comes to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Peter pipes up and he's like, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. You're the guy. And then what happens one year later? Jesus dies on a cross. He denies him three times and curses him. Why? Because he doesn't have it all figured out. He's saying more than he really actually understands. Nathaniel's doing the same thing. He's a fan on some level. And listen, we do this too. God knows everything. He's all powerful. And then do we pray about it? No. We just go about our business. We make decisions without him. We choose paths without him because he's the God who knows everything, right? But yet we don't slow down enough to go, you know what? You really are the only way. I need to ask you first. I need to seek you first. We do this in a thousand different practical ways. We do it too. We're a lot like the disciples. Last verse. So this is Jesus responding to Nathaniel. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know what Jesus is doing? It's a lot of language. He's saying, I'm inviting you to something great, greater than you could ever imagine. When he says truly, truly, I I learned this this week. I didn't know this. The word truly literally means confirm. And it's almost always used outside of the way Jesus uses it. In their their culture, this is the way it's used. I'm confirming what this person over here is saying or doing. So truly, truly, what they're saying and what they're doing is confirmed. It's true. It's real. Jesus is the only one who uses this of himself. He's not confirming what somebody else says. He's confirming what he's saying. Because he's the only man, God, on earth. Truly, truly, I'm telling you, Nathaniel, I'm confirming you as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the King of Israel, that you don't even realize what you're saying. Truly, truly, you will see heaven open. And what that means is he's the access to the Father. He's the way to God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, as John 14, 6 says later on. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, I'm the guy. There's angels all around me. I am the guy. Do you view Jesus this way? Is he the guy in your life? Is he the Messiah? Is he your hope? Because watch this. I want to go back to this phrase, this Jesus of Nazareth. It's really interesting. After the resurrection, after the cross and resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth is no longer a stigma. It's a place of hope. It's a place of redemption. It's used all throughout Acts after Jesus rises from the dead. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. We see Peter stand up. It's Pentecost. And listen to the words he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. No longer a stigma. This is the guy. 
I'm telling you where he's from. This is the guy, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to a definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It's a whole different Jesus in that way. There's no longer a stigma. This is Jesus of Nazareth. It's used again multiple times, but here's just one more. Later, Peter invokes the same name on a man born lame. He says, I have no silver and gold. And Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, but what I do have, I give to you. Listen to this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's no longer the skeptics or the crowds or the demons. It's the followers of God proclaiming, this is Jesus of Nazareth. You know what I see in this? Redemption. Redemption. Whatever stigma you have, whether you feel like an outcast, whether you've made a bad decision, whether it's sin patterns in your life, there is redemption through Jesus. He's more than capable to take whatever broken system, broken decision, broken place in your life and redeem it and to cover it and to renew you and to forgive you and to change you. So I'm going to pray for you. My hope and my, my prayer is, is that if you're asking, can anything good come from this in my life right now? Can anything good come from what's taking place in my life now? I invite you to come and see. Come and see. Father God, we, we just want to come to you. We want to see your son. We want to be redeemed. We want to be set free. And so God, I pray for all the brokenness in this room as they're wrestling through, can anything good come out of my life? Can anything good come from this place? God, that they would come and see you and they would be changed forever. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.